Aren't you glad you are forever His and He's going to be with you forever? Amen. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. If you are a guest here, we want you to feel right at home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ, and we're excited you're here. Just a few quick announcements, if you'll look in your bulletin. Uh, For those of you who are interested in joining the church, we do have a membership class called Starting Point. That's this Saturday from 2 to 4. You can sign up in your bulletin. Also, next Sunday, we're having our fifth Sunday volunteer appreciation starting at 9 a.m. So we're going to be serving up a hot meal. Diana and crew are going to be cooking for everybody. So we encourage everyone to come early. And all the Sunday school classes will be down in the fellowship hall for a joint time of worship and celebration. Also, it's going to be a great time for you to get to meet a lot of the new people who are coming to the 930 pre-launch service. Um, that, That service continues to grow. We haven't launched it yet. Um, so if you look around, some of your friends that may not be here are probably down in the 930 service. You'll get to see them there and a good opportunity for you to get to meet some of the new people there. So that's coming up next Sunday. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Today's message is called Out with the Old and In with the New. And I have a few pictures I'm going to show you. How many of you remember the old school typewriters? Anybody remember using these typewriters? Okay. How many of you have not used one of these typewriters? Maybe if you're younger than 30, there's a few. Okay, I see a hand in the back. All right, let's go to the next picture. Um, you guys remember the black and white TV set, set that very pixelated, didn't have a lot of pixels, and then now we have the ultra 4K HD TVs, and all the guys said, please, honey, Christmas this year. All right, let's go to the next picture. You guys remember the old Mustangs, and all the guys like, yes. And then the new ones are pretty good, you know, a little more horsepower, zero to 60 a lot faster. All right, let's go to the next one. You guys remember the going to the library? Is anybody still go to the library by chance? There's a few. We still go because we have kids. We get the kids' books. But did you know that even the cheapest Kindle holds over 1,400 books? It's, it's interesting how technology changes things. All right, the next one. You guys remember the old Polaroid cameras? Um, actually, that's not the camera. There's the camera. It would hold about 100 pictures, um, exposures, and you get them developed. But the smartphone holds at least 10,000 photos, and we still run out of memory. All right, let's go back to the lawnmower. You guys remember the old lawnmower, it, um, or excuse me, the new lawnmower and the old Model T car? The Model T car had about 20 horsepower, and now you can buy a riding lawnmower with so much more horsepower than was driven by the old car. So... Today we're going to talk about old and new. When it comes to things that we enjoy, old is fine. But when it comes to Christianity, we've got to realize Jesus came in to bring a new covenant, a new way. In Isaiah 43:19, God says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it's springing forth. Are you not aware of it? And Jesus came in to bring this new covenant. That's all good. And Christ is the catalytic Christ. He's the one who comes to be a change agent. And he came to the world to usher change. The problem with all that is we don't like new often when it comes to our personal preferences. Have you noticed that? We often like prefer the old when it comes to what we're used to in our traditions and cultures. So today the big question we're going to ask is why do I resist change so much? Now there are a few exceptions. Some of you enjoy change. But the majority of us, when it comes to change, we tend to resist it. We tend to buck up against it. So we're going to ask the question, why do I resist change even when it's good? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33. And we're going to read a lengthy passage. It's going to talk about Jesus and he's going to encounter 
the religious police officers again, the scribes and Pharisees, and they're going to be trying to catch Christ doing wrong. Obviously, he didn't do any wrong. And we're going to see what Jesus teaches us about when it comes to our Christian faith, how he came to bring a new way. Start in verse 33. And if you have your listening guides, you can follow along with this as well. They said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? In other words, Jesus, you know, we're out suffering and fasting and you tend to show up at parties. What's going on with this? Verse 34, Jesus responds to them. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they'll fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece, a piece from a new garment onto an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece was taken out of the new does not match the old one. So before we go into verse 37, he's saying, listen, when you when you sew a piece of clothes that's torn, you don't put an unshrunk piece of cloth onto an old garment because it's going to make it worse. And then he gives us another analogy. Verse 37, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So it gives us another analogy and says, listen, wine, as it ferments, if you put it in an old container, it's going to break it. So new wine has to be put in a new container. And he gives us the interesting statement of verse 39. And no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires the new wine, for he says the old is better. And the question I'm going to ask you is, Jesus given us wine tasting tips? We're going, to, we're going to discuss that in a little bit. You're like, this is the interesting comment. All right, chapter 6. We're going to see two different Sabbath day battles where the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus doing wrong on the Sabbath. We, we know that Sabbath is the Jewish Saturday. And uh, that's when they didn't work from sunset to the next day. And verse 1 of chapter 6 now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the grains of a head and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to him, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? It sounds like at this point the Pharisees are following him around, not even going through a field. They're, they're watching him. Look what you're doing, Jesus. You can't do it. Verse three, Jesus answered them, saying, have you not even read this, that when what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, he took and ate the showbread and gave them to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. Then he said to them, the son of man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. So before we go into the next passage, Jesus gives us an analogy. You know, David, his men were famished and they really needed to eat to survive. And the showbread was typically for the priests, but the priests made an exception for David's men. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're looking at my actions, but you don't realize I have the authority. I'm the one who made the rules. All right, let's look at the next verse six. Now, it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man with a, right, a man whose right hand was withered. So before we read verse seven, you got to understand the Jewish culture to have your right hand withered, that would mean you were a social outcast. In other words, even like today, which hand do we usually shake with? The right hand. And without going into any graphic detail, it's because you use your left hand for other stuff. So culturally, you shake with the right hand. I digress. So if your right hand was withered, 
it would mean in that culture you were an outcast. So Jesus sees this man and his heart's moved. But look what the Pharisees do. Verse 7. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, they might, that they might find an accusation against Jesus. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand, arise and stretch out your hand. And he stood and he arose and stood. Excuse me, verse 9. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy? Verse 10. And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, now he tells him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as the other. But notice the response of the Pharisees. They were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And we read in Mark's parallel gospel, they saw they plotted to kill Jesus. Isn't that the irony? They're like, don't break the Sabbath, but yet they're plotting his death. Isn't thou shalt not murder another uh, Ten Commandments? All right, let us pray. Father, your word is powerful. And we read three different passages here that pertain to the old way of seeing things and the new way of Jesus, what he brought forth. God, help us to understand how Jesus' way is radically different from anything else. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I want to present to you three reasons why Jesus' way is radically different than anything else. The first one is this. Jesus was bringing in a new covenant, which was radically different from the old way of Judaism. Jesus was bringing in a new covenant. Now, if you look at verse 33 of chapter 5, the Pharisees ask him a question. Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and we do as well, but you you guys eat and drink? So the Pharisees fasted, but it was more as a religious observance than for relational breakthrough. They fasted because that was what they thought they should do. Now, in, in the Jewish culture, they would fast at least one time a year on the Day of Atonement. There were other times of fasting when they, they would do as repentance and to show them, themselves um, sorry for their sins. But, you know, the Pharisees said, OK, it's good to fast a few times a year, but we're going to fast a few times a week. In fact, culturally, they fasted on Monday and Thursdays, twice a week. Could you imagine going two days of the week without food? That would be tough, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I would be really some of you guys are like, Man, I couldn't handle even one meal, much less two days during the daylight, not not eating. So they did that because they thought if they could do certain works, it would please God. They thought if we could just add on to the Bible, we're going to be okay. So they said, Jesus, how is it that we're fasting and we're praying and we're doing all the hard religious work and you guys are going to parties and celebrating? You guys remember Levi's party last week? We're doing we're seeing you guys joyful and smiling. How dare you? And we're over here fasting. I mean, that that doesn't make sense. And Jesus said, listen, one day I'll be taken away. And in those days, it's it's appropriate for my disciples to fast. And by the way, the caveat to that is not going to be illegalism anymore. It's going to be spirit led fasting. There are times to fast, but it's not going to be just to try to get um, a religious coin or religious star like a religious checklist. I did it. It's because God leads me to do so. Jesus was ushering in a new way to relate to God. He said, listen, you guys are finding ways to try to find me doing wrong. And you, you see, my disciples don't fast. But there's, there's coming a day when they will. 
But I, what I want you to get, the, the, the disciples are not fasting because I'm with them. I'm the bridegroom. I am the presence of God here. And one day when I'm t- taken away, then they'll fast. But right now it's a wedding feast. So I want to talk to the men a second. How many of you men enjoy weddings? Any guy enjoy wedding in here? Be honest. I didn't see a single hand. Well, how many of you men enjoy the food at the weddings? You're okay to get past the ceremonies. Are there anybody here that you go all day without eating because you know you're going to scourge on the food and eat a lot when you go to the wedding? Am I the only one? It's like, all right, it's going to be good food. So Jesus said it would be an insult to the bride and groom if you went to a wedding and said, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to have any cake, I'm not going to have any juice, I'm fasting. They'd be like, that would be an insult. And even in Jewish culture, you, you would not do that. That was considered very wrong to go to a wedding and be the doggy downer of the wedding. So he said, listen, I'm coming to bring joy, and you guys are the gloomy people. You guys are the Eeyores of, of religion, and I've come to bring joy. So while I'm here, you're to walk around with joy because Jesus brings joy. Have you noticed that? Isn't the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace? How come we get that wrong? Sometimes we walk around like the fruit of the Spirit is sadness and hurt and grudges. And it's like, that's not what Jesus came to bring. So he's saying, I'm, I've come to bring something new. All right, talk to the men. Talk to the ladies. How many of you ladies are good at sewing or at least attempt to sew? All right, some ladies. Any men sew? Some of you are. This is Asheville. We're artsy creative. Some of us may sew. But here's the thing about sewing. Typically, you don't take a piece of unshrunk cloth and patch it on to a cloth because when you wash it, it's going to ruin. The tear is going to be worse. The exception to that rule is obviously our jeans. You notice the hole you get a patch and it looks cool. But typically speaking, we don't do that. And also it doesn't match. So Jesus says what you're trying to do with, with the Pharisees is you're trying to take religion and rules that aren't even in the Bible and you're trying to add legalism to grace. And whenever you're trying to add legalism to grace, it just doesn't work. And Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, this kind of a commentary on that, the Judaizers, they were saying Jesus plus works equals salvation. And Paul was saying, it's Jesus alone for salvation. It's not Jesus plus anything. So what he's saying is, I'm coming to bring something new. And by the way, you remember in the Old Testament, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, what did they try to make? Clothes, right? They try to sew their own clothes. And you remember God brought the garment. He, he brought them a new garment. And in the New Testament, we're talking about the righteousness of Christ. Our own good works, if we try to sew it on, it's not going to work. It's going to look distorted. It's not going to match. It's going to, our life's going to fall apart even worse. But if we rely on the finished work of Christ alone, his righteousness covers us. Amen. So let's talk about wine. This is really hard in a Baptist church to talk about wine, right? But the, the Bible's full of analogies to wine. Typically, wine is an analogy of joy in the Bible. It's an analogy of new wine, new joy. And Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine. And I've often asked, why did he do that? Why did Jesus do something with drinks at a wedding? I mean, what's the deal? Was it just the wine or was it what the wine symbolizes? See, the wine is symbolic of a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. So Jesus says, you guys are trying to take the old system Judaism, I've got to explain Judaism. Judaism is the Old Testament plus the commentaries, plus the tradition, plus everything all packaged together. So you have rules on top of the Bible. And Jesus says, listen, I brought the Old Testament in to show you how to relate to God, 
But also the Old Testament, the purpose is to teach you that you're a sinner and you need a savior. The Old Testament pointed to Christ. So you guys are trying to use these rules and regulations to make yourselves presentable to God, to make yourselves look a certain way. Listen, it's always been by faith. Even in the Old Testament, you were never saved by works. You were saved by faith alone. So Jesus is trying to bring it back. But he's saying you can't rely on your your own self-righteousness because doesn't Isaiah said our righteousness are like what? Filthy rags? Don't rely on that. I'm coming to bring in a new covenant. So let's talk about the cultural background of wine in the New Testament times. It's hard for us to understand. I'm talking in Baptist terms. Whenever you have Welch's grape juice, everyone laugh. Um, you know, you, you take off the top, you notice it explodes when it's shaken up. Same for a wine bottle. Because whenever something ferments, it, it expands. You know, it's the same with sodas. You have the carbon and it expands. But when wine ferments, it expands and there's pressure. So what Jesus is saying is you don't take a wine container. In that day and time, they used like sheep skin or goat skin. And you take the, the, usually the neck of a goat and that would be formed, the skin of a goat around its neck. It would form into a wine container. And Jesus says if you take old wine and you put it into, excuse me, you take new wine, you put it into old wine skin, what's going to happen? It's going to burst, right, when it expands. And both will be ruined. The container will explode, it will crack, and the wine will be spilt. So what he's saying is you can't take the old way of doing things, legalism. You can't take the old laws of traditions of men. I'll give you an example. We're going to go with the Sabbath. Did you know we have the do not break the Sabbath law, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Did you know that the Jews had 39 laws on the Sabbath in addition to the do not break the Sabbath principle? So they had rules on top of rules, and Jesus said, that just doesn't work. So what Jesus was trying to communicate with both of these analogies, with the, the old cloth, the new cloth, the old wine, the new wine, is this. You can't take legalism and mix it with grace. It just doesn't work. So I, I want you to notice on your listening guide, there's a little box I put on your outline and what I've done here is contrasted legalism with Christianity. What I've contrasted is a workspace religion with Christianity. Workspace religion teaches Jesus plus anything. And I, I've said Jesus plus anything equals self-effort. You can't add anything to the finished work of Christ when it comes to your salvation. Christianity teaches Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The Pharisee effect was this, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. R plus R minus R equals, you guys are like, I didn't know we are going to get a math lesson. R plus R minus R equals R. Rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. You may tell you why many of you dropped out of church throughout your life, different times. You had rules and regulations, but you didn't have a strong relationship with God. Whenever people have rules and regulations, but not the relationship, they're going to rebel. It's the same thing with your kids and grandkids. If you have rules and regulations, but they don't feel a relationship to you, what are they going to do? They're going to rebel. Is it right to rebel? No, but that's the human nature of why we do it. The Jesus effect is this. G plus T equals RT. Grace plus truth equals real transformation. Jesus came as the embodiment of grace and truth. Jesus didn't simply come to inform us. He came to transform us. Jesus came to show us a new way. Now, let's look at verse 37. There's a postscript, and this is kind of odd. Jesus said, whoever has tasted the old wine doesn't immediately desire the new wine. Now, has Jesus given us a wine tasting tip? I mean, what is he trying to do here? This sounds a little awkward. What Jesus is saying is not simply just about wine. He's saying 
about human nature. Whenever you're used to an old way of doing something, that's what you're stuck in. That's human nature. So with, with, the, with the people in Jewish culture, the Pharisees, they were used to the old way of Judaism. So Jesus was bringing this new way of grace, and guess what? They were used to the old way of rules and regulations. They didn't understand grace living. So this is kind of a warning to us as Christians, even with us, when we're used to a certain way of doing things, a certain methodology, we don't instantly want the new because we're used to the what? The old. So Jesus gives us a commentary on this. Now, I have a picture of a lady named Rachel Veach. Uh, some of you may have heard of this lady. Does anybody know what car she's driving? There we go. It's a 1964 Mercury Comet. And Rachel Veach, she sent, has passed and went on, but she became famous because her car, let me tell you how much she bought it for. It, she paid $3,300. This is back when gasoline was 29 cents a gallon. And instead of upgrading to the newer vehicles, she stayed with his Mercury Comet. When all the other cars, kind of like the Ford Pintos, ended up in the junkyard, she stuck with it. And guess how many miles she put on it before she retired? At the age of 93, she decided, I can't drive anymore. So she decided to give up the car, and at that time it had 567,000 miles on it. So obviously she didn't drive it as much as some of us would, but she kept with it. And you know, that's okay with a car. But how many of us get that way with our Christianity? God wants to do something new over here, but we're like, I, I like it back. And you, you put your air back in the 1960s, the 1980s, when, whenever. And I, just, I love the smell of the leather seats. By the way, that car took her through three different husbands that came and gone. And she just stayed with it. This car's got memories. I remember this memory when I went to husband number one and we did this, husband number two. And she stayed with it. But how many of us do that with her faith? We're like, I'm used to this. When we forget God is the God of new. Jesus is the catalytic Christ. He's come to change us. He didn't come just to inform us. He came to radically save us. And by the way, the kingdom of God is all about expansion. You ever notice that the kingdom is growing? It's expanding. But we get so used to this mercury comet that we just don't want to change. If you look at your listening guide, I've got five reasons why you should reconsider change. Five reasons, and maybe one of these will stick out to you. The first one is this. You don't know what you don't know until you know. You don't know what you don't know until you know. That's so true. Number two, change is often the hardest thing, but a divine change will produce life-altering results in your life. And number three, it's hard to experience great growth without first undergoing great change. How many of you have ever been on a diet plan? Anybody? Some of you are like, oh. Now, do you enjoy the diet initially? Most of you don't, unless it's like a paleo diet, meat and potatoes. I mean, who can't do that, right? But we don't like diets. But you ever notice after about two, three months into a diet, if you stuck with it, people are like, girl, you've lost some weight. You're looking good. And you're like, wow. And you start noticing your energy levels going up, and you start feeling better about yourself, and you're like, Wow. Now, the change initially, you didn't like it, but you liked the results. So here's the thing. If it's good change, if it's godly change, why resist it? Because you're going to see some outcome in, in, it, in the midst of it. Number four, and this is a wake-up call. The moment you stop growing, you start dying. The moment you stop growing, you start dying. I've met people in their 70s that I thought they were in their 20s because they had this Holy curiosity about them. They have this insatiable desire to learn and to grow. One of my mentors, his name is Bill Kishner. He's with, with the Lord in heaven. But he was a businessman. He retired in his 50s. 
And he spent the last 15 years of his life just being a layman. And he would hang out with pastors and encourage pastors and minister to them. And I mean, he was a brilliant businessman, but he was full of joy. And he just walked around with joy and excitement. And what I learned from Bill is as you grow older, you can grow younger if you continue to grow and to learn. And I met people in their 20s that you would think they're in their hundreds because they just don't want to grow, don't want to change, same old, same old. Jesus is all about doing new things in our lives. Number five, reason why you should change. The kingdom of God is all about growth and change. If you resist change, you're actually resisting the kingdom culture. You ever think about that? The kingdom of God is like something like yeast that starts off small and spreads. God's kingdom is expanding, believe it or not. It's expanding. It may not look like it in the world's view, but God's kingdom is expanding. It's growing. It's inside of us. And what is God's kingdom? It's his rule and his reign across the universe, but especially in the affairs of man as it pertains to us. He's ruling the whole universe, but he's ruling Christians. He should. So whenever you get godly influence out of you, you're expanding the kingdom. Whenever you lead someone to Christ, you're expanding his rule and his reign in the hearts of people. So that is so important. Number two, the second reason why when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus' way, out with the old, in with the new. Number two, Jesus was presenting a new way to think about God's laws. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we find the disciples in the grain fields. And all of a sudden, the religious cops say, you, you can't do that. You can't violate. You can't harvest on the Sabbath. Now, was his disciples actually working by plucking some grain? Technically, no. But remember, the, the scribes and Pharisees have added laws onto the Bible. The Bible says simply, do not work. But they added at least 39 laws on top of that. You couldn't start a fire. You couldn't harvest. You couldn't do all these things. You had to walk less than, uh, about one of our miles. I mean, they had all these things. Like, if you walked a few steps less than the Sabbath walk, you're okay. If you walked a few steps more, you were in sin. They had all these rules and regulations. But look at the contrast in this passage. The Pharisees were focusing on the mere externals while Jesus was focusing on what? The heart. The Pharisees were concerned primarily with the what. Jesus was concerned with the what, but he was also concerned with the why. Why are they doing it? They're hungry. And he gives the analogy of David. King David, when he was hungry, his men ate the showbread, which wasn't lawful for them to eat. But because God values human life, he wasn't rebuked by God nor by the priests. So Jesus is saying, listen, what you guys are looking at is you're looking at my actions. But what you're missing is my authority. Listen, I wrote the rules. Jesus could say, I am God. And the rule writer is also the one who has the interpretation of the rules. So the Pharisees didn't get that. He said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now let's talk a little bit about rules in the Bible. This may help you. Whenever the Bible has a rule, like remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, is not to make your life miserable or I can't do something. Here's the way God views it. He's a father. And as his child, he knows that some of you have bosses. Hopefully they're not here today. But they would work you seven days a week if they could, right? Some of you have been in jobs that they worked you day after day, shift after shift. And, and if it wasn't for the Sabbath in the Old Testament, the Jewish bosses, they would, they would work you. And Jesus, what he would say is God's value is for you to worship me, to rest, but spend time with your family. Take a breather. Enjoy God's creation. But if you work every day, you don't have the time to just hit the reset button. 
So whenever God has a do not in the Bible, it says, listen, I'm a father. I love you. I don't want you to do this because this will hurt you. And whenever the Bible has a do command, it's because God knows this is best for you. And I encourage singles, you know, like the reason why God says wait for marriage is not I want to take your fun, but God is pro-intimacy. And he knows that if you save yourself, the intimacy is going to be much greater in marriage. When you are married and it says be faithful to your spouse, God's not saying I'm trying to restrict you. He says, listen, I made you. And I know if you're faithful to your spouse, it's going to produce this intimacy, security. It's going to produce love that's much deeper than anything you could imagine. So that, that's, that's why God has the rules. It's for your own benefit. So many of you have um, served in the school system. We have some retired school teachers here. So here's a question. In a public school, who has the authority, the classroom teacher or the principal? The principal, right? That's why when a kid's upset, who do they send the kid to? Some of you went to the principal's office. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees, listen, you guys are thinking that you're the rule enforcers. But guess what? I made the rules and I know the proper interpretation of the rules. So Jesus beautifully paints a picture of how to relate to God. It's not in this old way of rule keeping. It's in the new way of your heart. It's relating to God, not just with your head, but with your heart, not just with your head, but with your soul. In fact, if you look before Genesis 3, before the fall of man, there was only one do not command in the Bible. What was it? Don't eat the fruit, right? That was the only do not command in the Bible. The do command was be fruitful, multiply. There were two pretty good rules, right? So Jesus, in the New Testament, he summarized every rule ever given into, back to two rules. Love God and love people. And if you love God and love people, all the other rules fall into place. Finally, number three. Someone say, out with the old, in with the new. Jesus was offering warm grace instead of cold legalism. Warm grace instead of cold legalism. Uh, I use this illustration in the 930 service, but think about cold liver. I don't know if anybody likes cold liver. I don't. Can you imagine cold liver on a plate that's been sitting there a few days and flies around it? But ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine a warm, juicy steak fresh off the grill? you got your special sauce that you like, your, your secret sauce. and I mean, legalism is like this cold liver been sitting out for days. But grace, and if you're a vegetarian, think about tempeh or something else. But, you know, something great and warm. So let's look at the, 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 the difference between cold legalism and warm grace through this passage. Cold legalism values rules above people. In this synagogue passage, you have this man with a, a withered hand. Which hand was withered? His right hand, which made him a social outcast. And the Pharisees weren't concerned about the man. They were concerned about the rules. Legalism values rules above people. Warm legalism, excuse me, cold legalism seeks to find fault instead of favor. Jesus was wanting to do this man a favor and bless him. The Pharisees were wanting to find fault. So let me ask you, as you examine your own heart, are you more prone to find fault with people or find favor? Are you trying to catch people doing good or do you try to catch people doing bad? Do you see the best in people or do you see the worst in people? How you answer that will determine whether you suffer with legalism or you're walking in grace. Amen. Here's a quote from Jack Deere. He wrote a book on Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. He says, The essence of legalism is trusting in the religious activity rather than trusting in God. It is putting our confidence in a practice rather than in a person. And without fail, this will lead us to love the practice more than a person. 
That's the thing with legalism. We get caught up in the rules and regulations, and we forget it's about a relationship with God. Amen. See, as a church, we should be known more for what we're for instead of what we're against. Yes, we are a Bible-believing conservative church, and we do have solid black and white stances. But are we known more for what we're against instead of what we're for? If we would spend more time lifting up the light of Christ and less time cursing the darkness, I believe we would impact more people. The reason why so many people don't want to come within the foot of the church is we're known more for what we're against. Yes, there's many things we're against, but let us, like Christ, be known that we're for people. We're not against people. And here's the thing. We try to clean up the fish before we catch the fish. Have you ever noticed that? If people will come to Jesus in childlike faith and a repentant heart, he cleans up the people. So many times the legalists will try to get someone cleaned up and then they come to Jesus. The way Jesus works in grace is you come to me just as you are with childlike faith and I will clean you up. Amen. The story is told of two monks and they were getting ready to ford or cross a river. And all of a sudden, this lovely young lady walks up. And, you know, the monks are kind of holy. They're like, what are we going to do? We're going to say hello to this lady. And she's got this long, flowing dress. The problem is, she doesn't know how to get across the river without soiling the dress. So the monks have these rules. You can't touch a woman, you know, much less carry her. So one of the monks decided, you know what, I'm going to do this lady a favor. I don't want to see her dress get dirty. So he carried her on his shoulders across the river. So they both forded the river across the lady went on her way, her dress wasn't soiled, and she walked on. And there was silence for a little while, and finally, after a little while, the monk that saw what the, the other monk did said, I can't believe you just did that. You know we have our monk rules that you can't touch a woman, and you not only touched this woman, you carried her for, I don't know, several minutes. And the monk that had carried the lady responded, listen, I, I set the lady down an hour ago, but you're still carrying her. And isn't that the way with legalism? We, we, we find fault, and what we don't realize is it's the heart. It's what your heart is. It's where your heart's at. Cold legalism leads to the worst type of hypocrisy. Notice in this passage, right after Jesus did this, he told the man to stretch forth his hand and he healed him. The Pharisees plotted what they may do. And we read from Mark's gospel, they plotted to kill him. So think about the religious hypocrisy. They were worried about working on the Sabbath, and yet they were getting ready to plot murder. You see the hypocrisy there. In James 2, it tells us whoever will keep the whole law and yet stumble of one point is guilty of all. In other words, we're all in need of God's grace. From the Pharisee to the person that's way out in the world, we all need God's grace. So how do we bring this to home? Before we review, just a few closing applications. It's easy for me or for you, for any of us to become like a legalist. We start off really well, but we add a little bit of rules. We add a little bit of restriction that aren't in the Bible. And our joy, all of a sudden now, we're, we're, we're just kind of down on life. We've lost the joy. And I, I can speak from personal testimony because I went to a school in high school. It was a great school, but it's very legalistic. If you didn't have a certain translation of the Bible, or men, if you grew your sideburns out too long, or... Women, if you didn't wear dresses, it was like you were frowned upon. And that was a really scary time as a teenager to see the legalism. And what I realized is I picked up legalism all along the way. And my joy that started as this 15-year-old in fire, I now had all these rules and regulations. And I still remember this is um, like 18 years ago. I remember going down to a chapel at Fruitland. 
I was enrolled in Bible college, and I knelt down in this chapel, the prayer chapel, and I said, God, unless you heal my mind, this legalism was killing me. I said, I, I can't do ministry because I was burdened down by rules and regulations and restrictions. And folks, what God did is he lifted that off of me. It took time. I didn't get rid of the legalism overnight, but it, it took time. And I went back just to the Bible, sola scriptura alone. It wasn't rules. It wasn't regulations. It was a relationship with God. And you know what? Whenever you lay your legalism at the cross, you have joy again. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it doesn't mean we don't have rules, but it does mean we follow rules out of a heart of love, not because we have to. Grace is part of the kingdom culture. So those who have received grace need to be grace dispensers. You guys remember the Pez dispensers? My kids love them. You know, you, you open up the, the little container of the caricature and it dispenses a little piece of candy, a little Pez. I think as Christians, as we open up our hearts and our souls and our mouths, grace should come out. We are grace dispensers. So I want you to think about it. Those who have been wrecked by grace and healed by grace should flow with grace. And if we are known more for saying no than yes, if we're known more for being against people instead of for people, maybe we need to reread this story of Jesus came to bring us new wine, not old wine. Jesus came to bring us a new garment clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not the old garment of works-based righteousness. Jesus presented a new way. The story is told of Augustine. He was the bishop of Hippo, which is in Africa. Um, before he became a follower of Christ and a minister, he was a wild child. I mean, talk about womanizer, everything you can imagine, he was wild. So this is about a year or two after his conversion. He was walking through a certain town, and one of his old girlfriends saw him and said, Augustine, Augustine. She's like, there's my sweetie, you know. And he said, it is I, but it is not I. And he kept walking. It is I, but it is not I. See, Augustine had been wrecked and healed and saved by grace. Wrecked meaning the old is gone and healed and saved meaning the new has come. It is I, but it is not I. Is it you? Are you a new person? Are you a new creation walking in grace and in truth? Or have you started the Christian life and you put on legalism? You've been hurt? I want to apologize on behalf of all the churches that have hurt you with legalism. That is never God's intention. It's never been about rules and regulations. The Pharisees teach us that. It's all been about loving God and loving people. And because of that, doing the right thing flows out of that. So just by way of a review, today we brought three principles, how Jesus brought in a new covenant, a new way that was radically different than the old way of Judaism. Number two, we talked about God is presenting a new way to think about God's laws. It's not just about the, the, the what. It is about the what, but it's about the why. What's the intended purpose behind the law? We talked about God through Jesus Christ was offering warm grace instead of cold legalism. Jesus is God in the flesh. And listen, I'm coming to bring new wine. I'm coming to bring something different. To summarize this, the sermon in a sentence, your take-home trip is this. Out with the old way of living in the flesh and in with the new way of living in the spirit. I want you guys to take away the analogies of new wine. Don't live on the old stuff anymore. God's come to give you a new life, a new creation. I want you to take away the word picture of the garment of Christ. Some of you have sewn together garments of your own doings, your own works. And all that compared to the perfect righteousness of Christ is like filthy rags. Wear only the righteousness of Christ. 
And you know what? Let us be known for what we're for instead of what we're against. Let us be light bringers. Let us be salt and light. And let us lift up the darkness rather than cur- lift up the light rather than cursing the darkness. Let us pray. Father, you've called us to lift up the light. And so many of us spend so much time cursing the darkness. I know I'm guilty of that. And we think about culture, how bad culture has gotten. But Lord, at Arden First Baptist, we are Bible-believing. We are conservative when it comes to the Bible. But Lord, help us be known what we're for, that we're for people, that we're forcing people's lives change. Lord, help us be like Jesus in the midst of culture that's against him, opposition, and help us speak truth and grace in a world that so much needs it. Right now, I want to talk first to the believer with no one looking around. Would there be anyone that could testify like myself that in the past or in the present, you've struggled with legalism and, man, it's taken away your joy. And you've learned a lot of no's, but you haven't learned a lot of yeses. And you want Jesus just to strip the legalism away. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just right where you're sitting, say, Jesus, I confess that I started with joy and somewhere along the way, I've got Rules and regulations that aren't even in the Bible. I've got interpretations and traditions and I've gone back to the old wine. I've gone back to the old garment. And Jesus, I just want to put back on, I ask you to put back on me the righteousness of Christ. I know I'm, I'm, I'm righteous, but I'm not embracing it. I'm not living it out. So if that's you, just confess that to the Lord. God, forgive us for our legalism. Forgive us for trying to do things just to please you instead of walking with you out of love. As the believers continue to pray, there may be someone here today, the seeking adventurous, that you've been looking for life and you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus is saying, listen, your wine is cracked. Your jar is cracked. I've come to give you a new jar, a new life. You're wearing these old garments, the filthy rags, and nothing you do can... Make up for it. No work, no effort. Jesus plus everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So if you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time, just say a prayer like this. Jesus, I want a new life. I don't want to live my life the way I've lived it. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you were buried and you rose again to new life. And Jesus, I need a new life. I repent of my sins. Please forgive me. Jesus, clean up my life from the inside out, loving you with all my heart, all my strength, and all my mind. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time I'm going to have a hymn of response before our offering. I will be at the front. Uh, Miss Judy, Adam will be at the front. If you guys have any prayer requests, we're here to pray. Some of you may just want to kneel at the altar and say, God, I've struggled with legalism, just like I did 18 years ago at that chapel. I've had these rules and regulations that aren't even in your word and the burden of legalism. I'm just surrendering that. Some of you, it may be coming down to pray for a loved one. If you made a decision today, I want to encourage you to take out your connection card and write that on there so that way the staff can to pray with you and celebrate you. So this time, if you'll please stand as we have the closing hymn.